This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Our first guest today is Alex Newman, an award-winning international journalist, educator, author, speaker, consultant, and is the executive director of Public School Exit. He knows a lot about the history of education in our country, and I'm so excited he's here to speak with us today. Alex, thanks for joining us on Takeaways. Thanks so much for having me, Kirk. It's great to be with you. Well, I'm particularly interested in this subject. Education is very important to me, uh, particularly as a father. I have a renewed interest in what my children and all children are learning because I understand that whoever uh, has the minds of the children controls the future. I wonder if you could take us back in time a little bit. What was education like? What did it look like in the beginnings of America? Does it look like public school system today? <laughs> and that's like the difference between night and day, Kirk. It could not be more different. And in fact, for, for basically 2,000 years of church history, it was always understood that parents were primarily responsible for the education of their children, maybe with a supplemental role for the church, for the pastor, for the local community, for a tutor that the parent may hire. But ultimately, the parent was in charge. And, and that's what education looked like in America for hundreds of years. In fact, the first education law that was ever passed uh, in what eventually would be Become America was in Massachusetts. This was kind of like a, a Bible colony, if you will, the, the Puritans. And it was called uh, the Old Deluder Satan Act. And, and what they said was, hey, everybody has to learn how to read because otherwise they won't be able to read the Bible and then Satan will deceive them. And so really the, the fundamental understanding of education was you have to learn about God. You have to learn about what God wants for you. And so that was primarily, again, a responsibility of parents, but then some supplemental uh, community involvement or church involvement if necessary. And that's how it was for hundreds of years. Uh, primarily uh, education in the United States throughout the 1700s and even into the 1800s was home-based. And it was phenomenal. If you look at the difference between what Americans knew 200 years ago and what they know today, um, you almost can't even compare the two. It's that dramatic. And it wasn't until about World War I where most American children actually started being educated by the government in a public school. Uh, it, people don't realize that's a relatively new development. Uh, prior to that, it was, again, parents, uh, churches, almost all the church denominations had their own schools. There was a lot of private schools, private tutors. But it, it was essentially a free market with parents in charge. When the founders decided to take control of education, they must have put a lot of instructions for the Department of Education into the Constitution, right? Oh, it's all laid out in perfect detail, Kirk, with Common Core and sex education. No, <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, the Founding Fathers would have recoiled in horror at, uh, at what education has become. Uh, they never envisioned any role for the federal government in education, period. Uh, they did believe very strongly in education. But uh, the idea that the federal government would play any role at all, much less have a federal Department of Education, uh, it would have been just completely inconceivable to them. So how did it happen? How did it go from this rich, relational, uh, productive, home-based system to a system where government bureaucrats, the experts, have taken that away from the parents? 
Well, it was a long and very sneaky process, Kirk, and I think deception is the key word. Um, parents were not told what was going to be happening. People didn't understand the worldview of the people who were advocating for this system. Uh, I say the story begins back in the early 1800s with uh, a utopian, actually a communist, before Karl Marx came along and popularized the ideas of communism. But uh, Robert Owen was a textile manufacturer. He came to America. He created this uh, commune called New Harmony in Indiana, and it failed very rapidly. And uh, his conclusion was not that uh, private property must have been important. God must have said, thou shalt not steal for a reason. Uh, his conclusion was the reason that it was a failure was because parents had been educating their children to be self-centered and individualistic. So he concluded that government really should take control of education. He, he set out and charted a course. He actually created a society. We know of uh, some of the operations of this because one of the people involved became a whistleblower. He came to Christ. He repented, and he tried to expose what was going on. But uh, their objectives, according to the writings of this whistleblower, his name is Orestes Brownson, was, first of all, to get men elected to the legislatures who would support a government takeover of education, to change public opinion so that, you know, at the time, the idea that the government should educate children was extremely radical. Today, it's kind of just taken for granted. But at that time, you know, you, you tell an average parent that the government's going to educate your children, they'd look at you very, very strangely. So uh, they want to shift public opinion. And actually, Orestes Brownson wrote that the end goal of this was to destroy Christianity, to undermine the church. So that was the, the genesis of public education in America. Uh, obviously, it didn't take off right away. It took decades before anything even remotely resembling a government education system sprouted up in Massachusetts. Um, the writings of Robert Owen actually went over to Prussia first through the Prussian ambassador. They were implemented in Prussia, and then they were restored. They were brought back to Massachusetts by a man called Horace Mann. Uh, he, he's kind of regarded as the the founder of public education in America, um, right away it was a disaster. This is a man who wanted to get the Bible out of the schools, which, you know, at that time that was totally unthinkable, so he did not succeed on that. But the quackery started coming in right away. And then after he was done in Massachusetts, he traveled the country like a you know, traveling salesman, telling legislatures what a great idea it was for the government to start running education in schools. And um, unfortunately, uh, it, it took maybe 60, 70 years before most of the states had really established a governmental system at least uh, one that was thorough and comprehensive and, and eventually compulsory. But then uh, from there came uh, another individual, John Dewey. Uh, he is almost universally recognized as the architect of what passes for public education today. And again, this is a guy where it's not a secret what he believed. This is a guy who went to the Soviet Union and loved what they were doing. Uh, this is a guy who was the author, co-author, I should say, of the Humanist Manifesto. The very first words in this document are a direct assault on the first words in Scripture, uh, the, the first words there. The first plank was, uh, we religious humanists believe the universe is self-existing, not created, as contrasted, of course, with the Bible and the beginning God created. So this is the history, and, and it's not actually difficult to find all this. It's just, it's not taught anymore. And I think if, if Christians had known the real plan, the real agenda at that time, it never would have gotten this far. I'm shocked, and I'm so glad that you're sharing this with us. The idea that there is a sinister plot uh, behind the public school system, and that is not, that is not to say uh, that all public school teachers are part of a sinister plot. Uh, many of them are not. They're trying to be lights in the darkness and thank God for, for those who are on the front lines. But the very architects of the government system that we call public education were actually intent on destroying Christianity. And I think also the family. And I think that's playing itself out more and more right in front of our eyes. Alex, talk with us about some of the dangers that you see 
when government is in charge of our children's education. Yeah, Kirk, and I just want to emphasize what you said. You're absolutely right. There are so many wonderful men and women who work in the public school system who are, as, as you pointed out, trying to be a light, trying to teach truth to the children, really trying to do their best uh, in a system that unfortunately is inherently flawed. And, and some of the dangers, I mean, uh, the Bible actually says, you know, judge something, look at something by its fruit. And what has been the fruit of this system? Well, I think at this point, it's readily apparent. You don't have to do a deep dive to find out what's going on. According to the federal government's own data, Literally, this is not uh, you know an exaggeration. Less than one third of eighth graders in America today in the public school system are proficient in anything. Now, by proficient, I don't mean they're good at it. They're masters. Uh, they, they're proficient on some of the most dumbed-down standards we've ever had in the history of the Western world. So that's the educational fruit of this system. We we now have a generation where millions of children are graduating from high school and they literally cannot read their high school diploma. Uh, that's not my opinion. That's a fact. The federal government will tell you this. They, every two years they release the National Assessment of Educational Progress. This is their data, not mine. Uh, we see the, the crumbling of the moral foundations of our nation to the point where my generation, uh, something like 70%, according to scientific polling, say they're socialists. Now, socialism is essentially the antithesis of uh, everything that God teaches, right? Get rid of private property, dismantle the family. I mean, these are divine institutions. Uh, we see the, the drug abuse skyrocketing. We see the abortions, the gangs, the dropouts. Um, the, if you look at the, the religious data, again, my generation, maybe you too, I don't know if you're a millennial, Kirk, but among millennials, uh, less than half of American millennials say that they are Christian. Uh, let that sink in. This is the first generation in all of American history where Christians are in the minority. And even among those who say they're Christians, if you drill down, uh, a lot of them think very much like a humanist that John Dewey would have recognized. So that's the fruit. We've seen a destruction of the Christian values that this nation was based on. We've seen a destruction of academic standards. We've seen a radical sexualization to the point now where uh, it's completely normal for children to be engaged in sexual experimentation at a young age. It just, uh, it, it's truly astounding and that's just scratching the surface, Kirk. We're seeing more and more examples of parents being separated from their children, not only physically for six or seven hours a day, uh, we think that's sort of normal in the public school system, but separated from them in terms of being the, the, the decision makers of what happens to their little children uh, medically, uh, what happens to them with regard to what they're being taught uh, and what they can be exempted from. It almost looks as though the government is trying to replace the parents and become the parents of our children. What do you think about that idea? That's precisely what's happening, Kirk. And, and it's not just that the government is trying to replace the parents. It's that the government is replacing the parents. Uh, they're at the point now where the federal government puts out policy documents calling parents equal partners with them in the raising of their own children. Uh, the, the children in many states now, they can go get an abortion without their parents ever being told. Uh, they can be put on puberty blockers, on, on uh, they call them transgender hormones now, without parents ever being informed. In fact, in some cases, the schools will deliberately go out of their way to lie to parents and to deceive parents about what's happening with their child. Uh, you've got now full service community schools, they call them, 
where the, the government school takes care of the mental health, the dental health, uh, three meals a day in many cases, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, all, all that's left now for parents is basically good night story and, and uh, bedtime hug. It's, it's an incredibly alarming trend, Kirk, and it really flies in the face of what God says in the Bible. You know, God clearly puts parents in charge of the upbringing of their children. And uh, unfortunately, now we're seeing this, I think, catastrophic uh, change in roles where the government is becoming the, the parent, the provider, the, the carer, uh, and, and it's just incredibly dangerous to, to see this happening, but it is what's happening, Kirk. Some might say, come on, Alex, uh, do you have kids? Do you, do you know how difficult this is? This, this sounds like a great deal. Are you kidding me? Health care, dental care, three meals a day, daycare, education. What's not to love about that system? Yeah, that's hilarious that you say that because unfortunately, Kirk, I think many people today do think that way. Uh, they would rather push that responsibility off on the state or off on somebody else, but I think it's very dangerous. Um, Why is it we, dangerous? We've seen what happens. Well, we've seen historically, and over the last hundred years, we've got numerous examples of this, of what happens when the parents are pushed to the side and the government takes on the role of parents. Uh, we've seen this in numerous societies. We've seen it in, in Germany under National Socialism. We've seen it in the Soviet Union under International Socialism or Communism. We've seen it in Cuba. We've seen it in North Korea. It always leads to a disaster. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why Marx was so adamant that the government should educate children. He recognized that the family unit is basically the foundational building block of a society, of a free civilization. Uh, when the family exists and is strong, they pass on values to the next generation. They really don't need government to interfere in their lives. They don't want all-powerful government telling them what to do, uh, making all their decisions for them. And what happens when the government steps in and takes over that role is you, you get a, a shift in values, in attitudes uh, that becomes very dangerous. And then instead of the fundamental unit of a society being the family, the fundamental unit of a society becomes government. And, uh, you know, God ordained that there should be civil government for a reason. He actually very clearly explains what the purpose of government is, is to punish evil. It's not to raise your children. So once government extends its influence outside the sphere where it's appropriate and where it's proper, uh, you start getting into real serious problems. And again, I think there are so many examples over the last hundred years that should serve as a cautionary tale, uh, not just for Americans, but for people in other countries who are experiencing this as well. Uh, it's a very dangerous road to go down. I like this conversation and we need to, to really pay attention to the fact that we have a government that is increasingly telling us as parents and members of the family of faith that we need to stay in our lane and, and not meddle in the areas of education when the truth is, is that God is telling the federal government as an institution, as a civil government, as an institution that, that God has ordained that it needs to stay in its lane and stay out of the business of the family and the parents. We're gonna continue our conversation about how to take back control of your kids' education with Alex Newman right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. So, Alex, we've been talking about 
the need for parents to regain control of their kids' education, that God's given this responsibility and this privilege, this sacred privilege to us as parents. But many parents feel like they've completely lost control of their kids' education and they're not sure what to do. I mean, what other options do they have? Yeah, I, th I think that's one of the most important questions we could be asking ourselves as a society right now, Kirk, and I'm not exaggerating one bit. Um, I think if we continue on the path that we're on, it's going to inevitably lead to disaster. And so parents right now really need to be considering this very seriously. Uh, one alternative is just keep doing the same thing we've been doing for 60, 70 years, trying to reform the system, trying to do this, that, or the other. I think the, the best option that a parent has is to just make the decision right now, I'm going to reclaim control over the education of my children. And I really believe that homeschooling is the gold standard. Um, you know, I don't think it's the only acceptable or decent way to educate children. I think the benefits are just so enormous that parents, if there's any way you can do it, I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, my wife and I, we homeschool our, own, our, our five children. It's, uh, I say, one of the best decisions that we've ever made. Uh, I think it, it's right in line with what the Bible teaches. You know, if you go Deuteronomy 6, right, parents, you're supposed to be teaching your children uh, when they wake up in the morning, when they're walking by the way, when they're eating, when they're laying down to go to bed. Parents, you lead it, and that's the best way to go the benefits to homeschooling our kids once we decided to take the plunge so outweighed all of our fears, in fact, erased so many of our fears because it's the way, it's like it, it became so obvious how natural and important this is. Can you just share with some people right now, what are some of the most important benefits of homeschooling that you just cannot get in a public or government school system? Well, I, I think the first and most obvious thing, Kirk, is that there's nobody on the planet that loves your children more than you as a parent, right? Mom and dad, there, there's nobody in the world that loves those children as much as you do. There's nobody who cares as much about them as you do. There's nobody who desires more strongly that their well-being be assured. And so when you realize that, right away you realize you have an advantage over anybody. I don't care if it's the best Christian private school in the world. They're not gonna love your child as much as you do. So right off the bat, you've got this huge uh, leg up on any other alternative. Uh, second of all, uh, when you have that one-on-one -on -one attention, uh, there's really nothing that can beat that. You know, even, even in the most elite, uh, wealthy, private schools, you still have a classroom full of kids, even if it's a small classroom, 15 children. Uh, that's, that's a totally different thing than having one-on-one -on -one relationship with parents where you go at exactly the speed that's appropriate for that child. You can focus in on the, the special needs of that child, the, the learning style of that child, the interests of that child, right? Uh, that's one of the things that's so great about homeschooling is it's so customized. It's so adaptable to the unique needs of every child. God literally made every person on this planet unique. The idea that we're just going to put them into a factory and every child gets the same treatment at the same time, learns the same thing in the same way from the same, it just doesn't make sense. And we would never accept that when it comes to grocery shopping or restaurants, and yet we accept it with the education of our children. So I think those two things give parents a huge advantage. Uh, and this is actually, if you look at the data, this is shown so clearly in the data on homeschoolers. Uh, there, there is now a lot of research, in fact, there's decades of research showing that homeschoolers do massively better academically and socially. Uh, they're far more likely to retain their parents' values, which I think is one of the things that uh, many totalitarians dislike so strongly about homeschooling. Um, and, and even on the social metrics, you, know, you, you hear people say, well, what about socialization? Well, uh, the National Home Education Research Institute has done a lot of digging on this. Uh, the head there, uh, Dr. Brian Ray, has actually 
actually done a, a review of all the journal articles that have been published. And what he's found is that on all the ones that you can measure, communication skills, self-esteem, involvement in the community, tolerance, uh, homeschoolers just do so much better. And I think the reason why is, is clear. Uh, this is, in my view, the system that God uh, put out there as the best one. And, and you look back through history, again, for, for 2,000 years of church history, the norm was homeschooling. Early on in our country, uh, the overwhelming majority of America's founding fathers were primarily educated at home by their parents and by their older siblings. So it just makes sense. And one of the things that's so great about homeschooling, there are now so many resources out there, Kirk, to teach reading properly, say. Um, you know, the, the system that's used under the Common Core, which is in place almost uh, in, in every state in this entire country, uh, is, is in my my opinion blatant quackery. In fact, it's been known to be quackery since the 1840s when Horace Mann first tried it out in the public schools he was creating in Boston. Uh, and so you don't have to use these silly standards that have been proven ineffective, these methods that have been debunked uh, you know, 150 years ago. Uh, parents can make the right choice for their children. It's just, uh, you know, it's so far above any other alternative. I, I can't speak enough good things about it. Alex, you were so kind to talk with me and my team as we were filming for a brand new documentary that's coming out in theaters called The Homeschool Awakening. Check this out, I got a sneak peek for you. We have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. I don't really understand this idea that parents should decide what's being taught. Give me a break. I always viewed homeschooling as somewhat of a cult. Quiet, reclusive. The different people. Abnormal in some way. I could never picture myself doing it. Oh no, those are weird. I'm not doing that. That was before we had kids. And then we had kids and... All of a sudden, time for school. And is this really what I should be doing? Dropping them off somewhere else. And the teacher said to me, he would not cheat off of you because you are too stupid for him to cheat off of you. My kid is not gonna have that experience. We didn't have to be a special needs teacher. We only had to be a, a teacher of our daughter. The kingdom of heaven is qualifying you to speak into your children's life. I'm responsible for what we're putting into their head and into their heart. It changed everything. I think as a kid, you just wanna feel like you're worth it. And homeschooling says you're worth it. The freedom we had was so worth the small sacrifice it was to teach the kids. Now, 12 years later, I realize it wasn't a sacrifice. It was a total gift. You are in control. You get to choose curriculum. You get to choose methodology. It's yours to shape. You are the perfect person to teach them because you've been teaching your child since day one. She made sure I had everything I needed. I love her so much. No one's going to love our children more than we do. The greatest gift that I was given was my own identity. My parents gave me that. Go in with an adventurous spirit. Break the mold. It's really beautiful outside the box. It's such a great adventure. Isn't homeschooling like public school at home? Ha! Not even close. If that movie trailer interests you in homeschooling, be sure to watch our documentary in theaters on June 13th and 14th only. And visit our website, thehomeschoolawakening.com for more information. 
What do you say to parents who say, you know, I feel like this is probably the right thing and what I should be doing for my kids, but homeschooling uh, seems to present insurmountable obstacles for me. I-, I can't afford to homeschool my kids. I'm not equipped to homeschool my kids, and, I- and I'm a single parent. How have you seen parents overcome these kinds of obstacles? I'm so glad you asked, Kurt, because we see these objections a lot, and I've actually seen parents overcome these obstacles. I've seen single moms uh, take on the homeschooling of their children, and uh, you know, the, the, it relies on community and family. You know, the mom has to go to work, okay, so then you drop the children off with another homeschool family, you get involved in co-ops. I mean, my family and I were involved in three co-ops. And, you know, even with the education of complex subjects, you know, chemistry, how am I going to teach chemistry? How am I going to teach Latin? Well, you don't need to necessarily take on that whole burden yourself. There's all kinds of alternatives now, not just co-ops. There's online schools that are popping up. I I happen to teach economics at the Freedom Project Academy is one among many. Um, And and I know you know of that school because I've seen you endorse it. It's a great option. There are many others like it. Um, there are financial resources available out there for uh, homeschoolers, for single parents. There are scholarships for, for people who want to do this. The Homeschool Legal Defense Association, the, the nation's largest homeschool organization, I guess, uh, they've got a, a foundation, a, a scholarship fund for homeschool parents who are low on finances. Uh, I think churches all across the country, uh, if they're not doing this already, and I know more and more are, but uh, if they're not already, they should be setting up scholarship funds to support single moms, uh, setting up co-ops. So uh, the options are endless. And I tell people, you know, it, it seems like a daunting task, but once you jump into it, you'll see God really will bless you and will bless your family in an incredible way. If he calls you to do it, he's going to make a way for it to be possible to do it. Uh, and, you know, all, all the objections that we hear you know, I want my children to be salt and light. Uh, I'm very sympathetic to that. And every once in a while, there is a child who can hold his ground and resist the, the pressure to conform to this humanistic worldview. But more often than not, uh, your child is not only not being salt and light, they're being discipled by people who disagree with your values, who disagree with your worldview, who disagree with what you want to instill in your children. So, uh, you know, Consider the objections and pray about it, but realize there are, there are all kinds of supports. There are more resources than there have ever been in human history to do this. And there is nobody more equipped to educate and, and disciple your children than you. That's why God entrusted them to you. So even if it involves a sacrifice, and it will, it's going to mean you know, less financial resources. It's going to mean less free time to, to watch television or whatever. But even if it involves a sacrifice, it's a sacrifice that's well worth it. And the benefits are outstanding. And I know uh, as a father who's experienced and is experiencing the benefits, and Alex, you can uh, uh, resonate with, with, with that, we are now seeing the fruit of the seeds that we planted when our children were young and we spent the time and, 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 and built up those relationships and were able to nurture them and guide them and instruct them uh, and train them up in the way that they should go. And uh, man, it's like you said, likely the best thing that I ever did for my family. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show. 